0: Unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriter's Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriter's Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how you doing today? Nathan, I'm good today. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, man. Uh wonderful day get to connect with you again uh and you've got some for this week and next week you've got some really power-packed episodes planned yeah i wanted to get
1: started in the new year with a new series that i'm calling the old masters series Um, a new look at some stuff from great founding fathers of copywriting some you may have heard of Some you may have only heard of their work, um, but not necessarily their name. That would be true for a lot of people. Now, the copywriting nerds will know who I'm talking about instantly. His name is Maxwell Sackheim. I want to call this the Old Master Series, like I said. And the first first person is Maxwell Sackheim. His book, My First 65 Years in Advertising, um, Almost Impossible to Find. You can get it on Amazon for about $300. There's, it's just packed with, with information. But I was able to locate two checklists in, inside here, which were, they're sort of like, you took Victor Schwab's entire book, or maybe if you took Gene Schwartz's entire two books and you boiled them down to a seven-point checklist, that's what you get. I'm, I'm exaggerating. There's not that much in them, but there's a lot because this guy, well, let me tell you about him. He was born in 1890 in Russia. He emigrated with his family at a very young age to the United States. He started in direct mail in Chicago in 1906. That was right around the time Claude Hopkins was at the um, Lord and Thomas Agency and Albert Lasker and John, Kennedy, all those people. In 1927, Sackheim was co founder of a highly successful direct mail business called Book of the Month Club. Now, think about it. Think about how good you have to be just to sell a book, how much better you have to be to actually get people to commit to read a new book every month. Okay? That was 1927. He wrote a very famous ad. I'm sure you've heard of this. The headline was Do You Make These Mistakes? In English. It was for Sherman Cody's course and the ad ran for 40 years and it was profitable every year. Okay. So we're not going to talk about all that today. We're going to talk about something I found deep within this book and it's called seven deadly advertising mistakes. Now you might think, well, what does an old school guy know about advertising mistakes? It turns out everything that's relevant today because ads work you know, the format of ads is different. We're on Facebook now. Um, we're using texts and bots. But the basic idea, the basic vectors, the things that work are the same. And I've added a lot of information for each item. So you, it's totally up to date. And I'll translate some things for you, you and put it to work right away. And also in the show notes... I've put a checklist along with a question, a cheat sheet question after each point on the checklist, so you can go over your copy and ask the question underneath. Hopefully, that will help you make more money. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, And I've also included in this podcast some information I couldn't find in any of Sackheim's work. Copy is powerful you're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast and most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and if you're writing copy in highly regulated industries like health and finance, and business opportunity, you may wanna get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. Hmm? <laughs> My larger clients do this all the time. Okay. So uh, Nathan, you've had a chance to to look at the show notes um, before we get into our mechanical procedural list. Um, and Any thoughts about this?
0: I'm just going to lose a little bit of my expert copywriter credibility right now. When you sent me the show notes, I had no idea who this guy was. And then I started going through the show notes and I was like, oh, I recognize that headline. Oh, I recognize that concept. And so I knew him by his work, but he's not He's not like one of the greats that people knows by name. so, And I think that that's kind of a tragedy of sorts.
1: It is. And his work's not even really available now. Michael Senoff has something on hard-to-find ads where I think you can find some of his ads. But yeah, you're right. I mean, maybe you'd have to go to the Library of Congress like people used to have to do with Gene Schwartz's books before. Brian Kurtz was so good as to you know, start republish it, uh, to get it, but at least you'll get the best of the best. You know, one one thing you and I were chatting about before we start the show today is copywriters often, not always, but often have this shoemaker's children problem. We're terrific at promoting other people's work, but clueless about promoting our own. And, um, I think that doesn't apply to you or me, but uh, there are other people like that. Okay, let's jump into the list. So here is here are seven deadly advertising mistakes. And deadly advertising mistake number one is failing to give your reader a reason to read your ad right up front. Failing to give your reader a reason to read your ad. So the um, way to avoid making this mistake is you need to make a promise right away, either directly or implicitly, or somewhere in between directly and implicitly. You need to make a promise that your reader will find makes it worth reading the rest of your ad. So how do you do that? What does that mean? Well, it's always good to start with your prospect. Don't start with the universe. Don't start with laws of advertising don't start with your product start with your prospect right start with the person you're writing to and ask this question what's important to them what's keeping them awake at night what's on their mind all day what's really annoying them if it's a problem or what's constantly distracting them because it's something they want which could be more like a goal or a dream or an aspiration. So in terms of giving your reader a good reason to read your ad, a good reason is something that will help them solve a problem that they are aware of or achieve a goal that they really want. And the key thing is that they're already aware of, not that they should be aware of or that, you know, they have unconsciously, but that they know that, that, you know, if you said, what's the problem, my foot hurts. Oh, okay. Dr. Shoals, Okay. So what is a good reason? Another point here is you want to give people believable, legitimate warnings, stoking fear of loss, and or announcements announcing the possibility of profit, not only financial profit, but certainly including that. And those are often good reasons to keep people reading an ad. So a good question for Making sure you don't make this mistake is, did I give my reader a good enough reason to read the ad?
0: I like to, whenever I'm writing an ad, I like to know what my two main wants are. What my want, what do I want them to do at the end of the ad? And their want, what do they want to get out of reading the ad? Are you sure that you weren't in the service and never told me you weren't a sniper? I
1: mean, that is so focused. I love that. Okay, you don't have to tell me. I'm sure you signed some kind of (laughs) non-disclosure. Okay, mistake number two is what he calls, and this is a real old-fashioned phrase, using headlines that whisper sweet nothings. So the way to turn this around is you need to get readers excited about something that's important to them, and you need to do it in a direct and a powerful way. All right? Um, So a headline... Should not be coy or indirect or cutesy or obscure. It should not be weak. It should not be tentative. It should not be muted. If you think of a musical instrument, a headline should be a fanfare of trumpets. It should not be a piccolo played at pianissimo. It needs to be loud and proud and out there. And the reason for that is your headline is your one chance to get attention and pull the reader into your copy. You know, there's this whole thing we talk about where we say the writer was clearing his throat in the first three paragraphs. And, and then she, he finally started to get into the meat of it in the fourth paragraph. Well, if that clearing your throat includes your headline, you're screwed, right? Because remember people, will read content because they want to read it. They don't want to read our ads. We have to intrigue them. We have to um, attract them into doing it. Okay, so uh, your question number two to make sure you're avoiding this sweet nothing's mistake is does your headline reach out and grab the reader? Okay.
0: Can I ask you a question, David? Yeah. Do you have a preference on writing because you said the the problem of clearing your throat the first couple of paragraphs or you know you don't want to do that with your headline do you tend to write your headlines before or after the majority of your copy is written i write my headlines when they come okay Uh, (laughs) and and
1: yeah that's a good question um the headline i end up using is not often often the headline i start with I will often write a headline right away just to sort of get myself rolling, get some momentum in the writing process. But often as I'm writing, I'll discover something or I'll remember something. i say, oh, that would make a much better headline. And then I might have to redo the lead in order to make it follow from the headline. Gotcha. What about you?
0: I actually have a very similar process. A lot of times my first idea for a headline Well, almost every time my first idea is not the one I go with, but a lot of times I start with an idea for a headline and then I get about halfway through or all the way to the end. And I'm like, you know, that headline is just not up to par with the rest of the copy. I'm going to have to go back and rework that.
1: Yeah. And you know what? If you have an idea and you don't think it's good enough, just write it down. Um, Get it out of your head. Keep the flow going. It doesn't have to be perfect. Certainly not at first. I mean, eventually you want to get it as good as you can, but it's not like you're getting graded for every word you write down. It's you're getting graded for whether you wrote something down Uh different than school. okay? do you have a problem with Kindle books? I do. Sometimes I really just want to hold a book in my hand so I can turn the pages and highlight stuff and make notes. That's one reason I recently released the print version of my book, Breakthrough Copywriting. And listen to this. On Facebook, I've gotten pictures posted from around the world, pictures of people holding their printed copy of Breakthrough Copywriting in their hands, including one from an A list screenwriter and marketer in LA's famous Topanga Canyon. He was reading the book in his hot tub. Breakthrough Copywriting is a great book for you, whether you are a beginner or an A lister yourself, or anywhere in between. It costs a tiny, tiny fraction of my $5,000 a head seminar that the book is based on. So check out Breakthrough Copywriting on Amazon.com. Now, back to the show. All right, number three, using pictures that do not talk. Now, you might think that because Maxwell Sekheim was born so long ago, he was talking about silent movies versus talkies. And no, he was trying to find a way to consolidate this idea into a few words. Here's what he means. He means that when you use a picture that does not talk, it's wasted space and it's it's hurting your ad even if it's hurting it passively. Any picture you use needs to tell a story in some way by itself that supports the copy in advancing the sale. Now, the picture doesn't literally have to sell the product. It has to be part of the overall package that sells the product, but it has to do something proactive. And there's really two things it can do that I can think of. Maybe you can think of something else, but these are the things I've seen and used and seen used successfully over and over again. The more a picture either credentializes something about the copy, like maybe it's a picture of an award or the expert who the offers a testimonial for the product, or maybe you know it's a screenshot of an amazon review Um, the more it either credentializes something about the copy or demonstrates the benefit of the product in action and you know uh, for some reason all i can think of right now is the vegematic where you can see it slicing and dicing a tomato so quickly but that's a movie but it's the same idea it shows the product in action the better and most people don't think about pictures or images at all. They just throw them in there. And sometimes you get a very aesthetically focused art director who's going to put it in there to make it look pretty or to balance the elements of the page or to repel against negative space or something. No, you're trying to sell something. You're, (laughs) You're not, you're not trying to find something that's going to hang in an art museum. Okay. So, Here's the question for using pictures, do not talk, to turn it around. Is the picture so good that it could partially or fully make the ad work by itself?
0: I think this is one of the things that the internet has actually took and copied back a little bit. When this book was written, you paid by the inch on the page. You paid every single letter. You paid for the ink. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, with copy and emails and sales pages, people can just Plaster up as much as they want, and they just add pictures because it decorates the page, or they add pictures because it decorates the email. And copywriters, I think to their own detriment, don't really have to worry about it as much as they did back when this book was written.
1: Yeah, I I think you're right. Now, let me ask you a personal question because I've seen you do some cartoons. You're a pretty good artist. I mean, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about the fact that a picture can't be there just because it's a
0: cool-looking picture? Um, You know, when it comes to writing copy, I have to separate the artist side of my brain. Uh, When it comes to designing the layout of a sales page, my goal is always, is this going to push the sale? You drilled this when we first started working together. You drilled this in my head. Does it push the sale forward? If not, it doesn't belong on the page.
1: Well, thank you. And, you know, since a lot of us, and I think I'm going to talk about this either Again, in this episode or in the next episode, a lot of us are very creative. One reason we're in advertising, we're in copywriting, because there's not a lot of, you know, on the outside, un, un unimprisoned time for creative people in accounting, for example. Um, but there's a lot of room for creative people in marketing and advertising. And you sometimes need to learn, like you said, to separate it, right? Okay. Uh, number four. Ha-ha, ha-ha-ha, here, here is where we talk about creativity again. Deadly advertising mistake number four is, I wish we could have like the music from, um, you know, Law & Order, um, giving in to the curse of cleverness, okay? If you try to show how entertaining you are more than how much you know and care about a problem the prospect has and how to solve it, that's a deadly mistake. Okay. So, curse of cleverness, different from the curse of knowledge. It's in a way, it's a curse of ignorance. Um, many people who read copy, like I was saying just a second ago, are very creative. And let's be honest, one way creativity longs to express itself is by saying something clever. Cool. You must be the life of the party, man. But there's a problem when you're trying to get someone to take you seriously, and all you can do is bone motes at them. If you need them to take them seriously, you need to focus on what's important to them rather than what makes you look like such a witty person, okay? So we could go on about this for a long time because it is a problem with a huge amount of advertising that's not effective direct response advertising. But I I think we've talked about this so much, and we will in the future. I think the question, the shorthand question for number four to cure the curse of cleverness, to remove the curse is, am I making my prospect laugh? Or am I locking in my prospect's serious attention? And let me repeat that because there's a lot in it. Am I making my prospect laugh? Or am I locking in my prospect's serious attention? Number five, Um, real old-fashioned obscure language here. Mistake number five is going around Robin Hood's barn. And what he means by this is instead of going direct to the point, a lot of advertising makes readers jump through mental hoops to understand what it's trying to sell you. You don't want to do that. You want to make yours a smooth glide in a straight line. Okay, so let me tell you about Garfinkel's law of work. I, I only have a couple laws because I'm not really a lawmaker, but I, this is something I realized a long time. The person who does the work gets paid. And I was explaining this to another friend of mine. It, it, it sounds a lot like Marxist dogma. No, that's not what I'm, I'm... It's not literally about the person who goes into the factory and uses the means of production of cap. No, that's not what it's about. It's about metal work. If you have something complicated, like you know, a glass of water with some extra hydrogen atom on every fourth molecule and, and you're getting into the intricacies of the human... Microbiome and all that, you're not doing much work. You might think you're doing much work, but if you're making a complicated presentation to a prospect in your offer, in your description of your mechanism, the prospect has to do all the work in order to understand it. And from a money exchange point of view, here's how that works the prospect's doing the work, so the prospect gets paid. What does that mean? That means they keep the money that was supposed to be paid to you because they don't buy. If you do all the work, if, if you just say this water uses the magic of biochemistry to increase your energy level and decrease toxicity in your body, ooh, then you get paid because you did the work to make it simple and the prospect sends you the money. Um, when you're writing copy, the phrase it's complicated is, is code for I'm lazy. I'm not willing to make it simple. So I'm just going to say it's complicated. So the imperative here is to keep at it until you've got it to the simplest, most appealing way, accurate way to describe what you need to sell your offer.
0: As As copywriters, it's kind of our job to take complicated, complex problems and make them simple. That's what we get paid to do.
1: That's right. And the better we do it, the better we get paid. The question for going around Robin Hood's barn is, how easy is it to follow my pitch all the way through? And it might be good to ask, how easy is it for someone else? Because you're going to understand everything you've written, but someone else might not. Number six mistake is leave them dangling. Don't leave them dangling. Don't leave them thinking, hmm, okay, so... Always give your reader something to do. Otherwise, risk losing them forever. And this is even when you don't have a direct response ad, which is really not something we talk about here that much, but this is for all advertising. Remember that when people take action it creates awareness in them. They're aware when they're doing something. And if you're not doing direct response advertising, you can still offer a free report or even just ask the readers to look for your product in the store. Okay? Something. Action. Expecting people to remember your ad or your product or your offer just because it's such a great ad, just because I'm such a great copywriter, that's wishful thinking. Okay? So question for Leave Them Dangling is, did I give my prospect something specific to do? All right. And number seven, and I don't know, this is a little old-fashioned, but I think there was a song in the late 50s called Yakity Yak, Don't Talk Back. The, so the mistake, deadly mistake number seven is using yakity yak copy. Don't waste your reader's time. Make everything you say interesting, useful, intriguing, or curiosity-provoking. Here, I'll say that again. Make everything you say interesting, useful, intriguing, or curiosity-provoking. Because a good way to waste your advertising money is to not get enough research and thinking time in, in advance and simply spell out the words that sound good but mean nothing. Fact is, vast majority of your prospects won't buy unless you keep them interested and provide value to them personally in your copy. People have a lot of choices and the one you don't want them to make with your copy is to delete it or to click away. So cheat sheet number seven for using yakety yak copy mistake is, am I providing interesting value every step of the way. Okay. So before I summarize anything else you wanted to kick around,
0: uh, no, just on that last one, we want them to get to the end of the sales letter. We want them to get to the call to the act to the call to action. And if we're putting a bunch of speed bumps in the way, there's a good chance that they're not going to, they're either like you said, they're going to click away. They're going to click delete. They're going to throw the letter in the trash. There's, uh, a million reasons for them not to make it to the end of the sales letter and we want to eliminate them, make it as smooth as possible for them. Yeah, perfect. That's a a good point.
1: So um, let me just review the seven deadly advertising mistakes and in the show notes on copywriterspodcast.com, you can find these as well as the questions to help you fix the mistakes if you're making them or see if you are at all. Okay. Number one, failing to give the reader a reason to read your ad. Mistake number two, using headlines that whisper sweet nothings. (laughs) Number three, using pictures that do not talk. Number four, giving in to the curse of cleverness. Number five, going around Robin Hood's barn. Number six, leaving them dangling. And number seven, my favorite cuss of the word, using yakity yak copy.
0: All right, nice. So next week, we're going to kind of continue on this theme. So make sure that you are subscribed to the Copywriters Podcast so that you don't miss the next episode. And anything else before we're out of here, David?
1: Yeah, next week, we're going to drill down a little more and talk about direct response copy specifically. Now, everything we said could be applied to direct response, but we're going to drill down a little more.
0: Nice. All right, man. Until next time, we will catch you later. See you later.
1: Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes so you never miss an episode. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.